Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. If you're a founder of a B2C business and currently fundraising, I run a private newsletter where I share companies to past the future guests of the show that I think are interesting. If you'd like to apply to be on the newsletter, head over to theconsumervc.com slash startup. Thank you, Joe Tonis, for the introduction to today's guest, Mitch Hayes, founder and CEO of Low Sundays Tequila. Low Sundays is a tequila for the millennial and founded on the principles of quality, originality, and style. Some of my favorite parts from this episode is learning about the opportunity Mitch found in tequila when he didn't come from a beverage background, his distribution philosophy, and why he focused on generating demand over supply. Without further ado, here's Mitch. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I, I know we spoke about this before, but you don't come from a tequila or beverage background. Talk to me about your attraction to entrepreneurship and what led you to founding Low Sundays. Yeah, I think the entrepreneur was kind of always in me. I always wanted to build my own company one day and my own brand. Uh, you know, growing up, I kind of would always look at brands and designs and would break them apart in my head and wonder you know why people liked it or why they created it that way you know I was always a huge fan of great design anything that was smart engaging you know things that stopped me when I saw them or got a reaction out of me so I knew I wanted to build my own thing at some stage I just wasn't sure what it would be so I really just started teaching myself design you know I thought if I could at least teach myself design I could build the ideas that I'd have in my head in visuals that I could show people, you know, because trying to describe a concept to someone is much harder than handing them a visual. And I remember, you know, having business ideas when I was growing up, but, you know, at the time being too young or having too little resources to be able to pull it together. Um, And then a few few years later, I would see that same or similar idea brought to life by someone else and I'd be doing really well and I'd get so bummed and I'd be like that I, you know, that I wasn't able to pull it together myself. And, you know, I'd just keep telling myself that more ideas and more resources would come as I got older and, and the right thing would present itself one day if I kept my eyes open. So, you know, until then, I just put my head down. I started working in the action sports industry and kind of learning all sides of sales, marketing, um, design, production, you know, to learn as much as I could. And eventually it paid off, brought me to America, brought me to the bars here and being surrounded by millennials and girls drinking tequila. And I was like, damn, tequila is awesome. So it was kind of, um, you know, I was lucky enough that a few things aligned for this opportunity to present itself. I came, um, I became close with one of the athletes and their families that I was managing at the time. And one side of their family was from Mexico and his dad had a connection to a distillery and some samples of a tequila that he used to tell me we could start a brand with. And I initially dismissed it a few times. You know, I didn't know, as you said, I'm not from the liquor industry or beverage industry industry, and I really didn't know much about it. But after continuously seeing everyone around me order tequila, I started digging in more and a few things like really stuck out to me. Um, One was being that no one could really tell me what tequila they liked or they drank. And that was one of the biggest eye-openers for me. I would kind of ask this question of like, do you drink tequila? And the answer would most often than not be, yes, I love tequila. And I'd be like, okay, cool. What do you drink? And they really couldn't answer me besides Patron, 
and this is before Casamigos really, you know, hit its strides and became a big brand, they really would just start to try and describe the bottle or color on the label or something like that. And that really stuck out to me. It was like, they really loved tequila, but they didn't really have a brand that, that resonated with them. Um, and that made me look at it more. And then looking at all the brands, it really stood out that they were all very formal, very serious and really kind of skewed to older men. So, you know, I'd look around and everyone that was around me that was drinking tequila, tequila didn't fit this look you know so they're all millennials are all having fun and so that's kind of where the idea for Lost Sunday sparked it was you know the idea was to build a brand and not just a product and build a brand with that millennial and female demographic in mind I remember when we talked before too um, you're saying how you know tequila really isn't a thing in Australia and yet you came to this country and you were like oh my god lots and lots of people drink tequila how are you thinking about tequila landscape over here well i think i think that was the other point that made it this opportunity present itself to me is like not being from the states and coming here where like you said in australia it was really there was there's not a wasn't a lot of variety of tequila when i was growing up there and it was very poor product it was that like hold your breath close your eyes take the shot and reach for the closest chaser that you have and then when I came here, you know, it really stood out to me how many people were drinking it and the product was good. So that that was what really was like drew my attention. Like, wow, this is a great category. Since tequila wasn't popular in Australia, did you develop a love for it over here in the States as well? Yeah, de- that definitely happened here. It was, it was tasting a lot of different tequilas and realizing that there was some really good product out there. Like I mentioned my, you know, thought of tequila before moving to America was it, it was harsh and it was hard to drink. And then trying it here and just realizing, you know, it, I, lo- I fell in love with the taste of it. And there's so many great brands out there. So, you know, for developing Los Sundays, we kind of used, as I mentioned, the target demographic that we saw that we thought the opportunity for Sundays was. We just were like, okay, we have we have to build everything for this this demographic. So when I started tasting a lot of tequilas and finding what I liked and then developing Lost Sundays to taste test it, you know, we'd really start we just really wanted to taste it within our demographic. So we would I would invite a bunch of friends over and, you know, everyone give their honest opinion. You know, it'd be like, What do you think of this tequila? What do you think of that one? And then to taste test Sundays, you know, was was the same people. So the hard part was actually getting the samples here. You know, we, we would bootleg so many bottles of tequila across the border trying to get it in to do taste testing. And it was, we didn't always get them through and we got pinched once at the border. It was pretty funny. So, you know, we, uh, we had to go back and tip a bunch of bottles out and it was heartbreaking and we got put in secondary. We pretty much always do now. But once we get bottles over in the early days, we'd, we'd get all our friends to taste it and, give their honest feedback and then we'd blind taste test it against brands that we thought were really good to make sure that we were at the very minimum as good but you know optimally be better than these brands and and that's kind of how we move forward with it how are you thinking about in the early stages brand as well low sundays like where did the name come from and, and how do you how do you thought as well just about brand positioning well that was part of that question earlier with the name was when i would ask people what they drank and they couldn't really tell me the name they would try and pronounce it and they couldn't really get it right or they're unsure so part of it was like we needed something that was very easy to remember and very relatable so the concept was you know we all love Sunday is our favorite day of the week it was kind of 
one of the only days where nearly everyone has it off and the Sunday fun day is a whole bunch of good things associated with Sundays. So we figured if we called it Lost Sundays and we had the little, you know, the closest city on to was Los Angeles. So I kind of took the loss from there and the Sundays. So it's the Sundays and it makes it very easy to remember and order. So can we get around a Sunday shirts, a Sunday's margarita or a Sunday's in soda? You know, that, that was our concept behind the name and the branding was just to make sure that it was memorable. And also it can do a lot of marketing things and merchandise things with that name. When you were developing your first product, what, because there's a lot of different flavored tequilas out there. How are you thinking about the first product that you wanted to make? There's, there's a quote in business that I love and it says, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you started too late. Um, our first tequilas weren't bad by any means, um, but I'm like very proud of where we are now. Originally, uh, we only had two tequilas and both had a natural coconut extract and they were filled in generic stock bottles and a lot of other liquor companies had these same bottles. So we knew we had to develop and evolve. So now we fine tuned that coconut expression down to what we still think is so many people's favorite tequila. The coconut Blanco is so smooth and easy to drink. It's almost too easy. It can sneak up on you fast. It just has this very subtle, <laughs> smooth finish of it. And that was our original product and we love it. But, you know, we knew we had to evolve and we're, you know, we're really proud now that we have a world-class Blanco and a Reposado. Uh, with no extracts in it, it's 80 proof. All the tequilas are 100% blue Weber agave, um, and all three expressions are now in our own custom bottle design. So, you know, back to you know where we are now to where we started, we feel like we're light years ahead and have our own brand package. But you, you know, you have to start somewhere, and we think our product now really complements our customer. Um, you know, we may look at offering the Neho or something like that down the line. But for now, we really like this product mix, having the 70 proof coconut expression and then our regular Blanco and Reposado. We've also got a, a kind of ready to drink option that's uh, coming down the pipeline. What was the rationale or reasoning behind starting with a flavored tequila with the coconut um, rather than a pure classic tequila um, off the bat? I think it was more based on our background, being not from this country and not you know, drinking tequila for as long as most people here, it was a little bit scarier category for us or for me personally drinking it. And a lot of my friends as well, you know, there's a lot of horror stories out there that people have with tequila from their college days and things like that where they're like, oh, I can't drink tequila. I got so sick on it and have drunk some really bad tequilas in the past. So the coconut expression was like this gateway for people that had a bad experience with tequila in the past and wanted a really easy transition back into good tequila or for new tequila consumers that were scared of the category or just, you know, used to drinking vodka or gin or something like that. So we, the idea behind it was, you know, we call it the gateway tequila. It's the gateway in, back into the agave spirits or into agave spirits for the first time that's very easy and very transitional and you still get a lot of the agave flavor notes on the front like it doesn't taste flavored by any means that sometimes it scares people when they see coconut flavor on there and we were very adamant that it what didn't taste syrupy or flavored it just has this this subtle coconut smooth finish on the back end that just alleviates a bit of the bite out of traditional like Blanco agave tequila. How are people and how did you envision people consume tequila? Obviously there's margaritas. There's a number of different ways to consume it as a mixed drink, but were you envisioning people to drink it straight since it was already flavored? Well, it, it fits in, in all kinds of categories of how you drink it. It's great for a shot because it's very easy. 
and so you can have it as a shot or you can sip it neat. It also pairs really well just with like a zero sugar, low calorie sparkling water. So we call it Sundays and soda. So if you just and you use the Sundays coconut with that and a split and a lime wedge, it's so smooth and so easy to drink. But it can also pair really well into margaritas and cocktails because it has that natural gluten-free, sugar-free sweetness from the coconut extract in there. It allows you to make some margaritas and cocktails and not use syrupy, sugary margarita mixes or cheap mixes like that. The best way to make a Sunday's margarita, especially with the coconut expression, is using like real fresh fruit and fresh, you know, additives and ingredients, no sugars and syrup. So it, it makes it a, a lot cleaner cocktail. You know, even though it is a flavored tequila, it could still, it's actually still quite versatile. What were some of the ways that you use in order to generate demand for your tequila? I've always been a big believer in this. I think a lot of brands do it the other way around, which doesn't set you up for long-term success. You know, especially if they have deep pockets. Like we look at it, we're playing chess, not checkers. We wanted to build our brand with our consumer, not force a product onto shelves and into people's faces with industry deals and huge budgets and then hope it sticks and reorders come. It's a demand first, then supply. Especially from my history in the action sports industry, I watched so many brands die because they oversaturated the market too quickly. And essentially they diluted their own value and their own brand by then trying to do crazy deals to get their products to move off the shelves that they put everywhere. So you know, that is definitely a route that I saw fail for some, some big brands. And I wanted to ensure that we didn't do that. Um, and the way that the main reason I got into this space as well was, you know, we looked at smartphones and social media as our ticket into this industry, which could bypass the old guard and the old methods. It was the first time in history of this industry where we can get our customers attention and talk to them about our brand and build the demand before they even enter a bar. So this was kind of our demand building and, and our way to speak to our audience, which I felt, you know, there was an opportunity to do it this way not long ago. You know, these smartphones pretty much never leave our hands. And social media is such a dominant communication platform now. And you couldn't do this not that long ago. Like the word and term social influencer, you know, wasn't a term that I'd ever heard of really not that long ago. And now it's, you know, your number one marketing tool. So, you know, we really wanted to be able to communicate directly with our consumer and build that demand with them first. And our way to do it was social media and smartphones. That That's why we knew we had a chance in this industry and a way to bypass having to have millions of dollars and in industry connections to launch your brand. I guess another thing with us is also we wanted to really see how the consumer responded to our brand and we wanted to fine tune it and evolve it for a while. You know, we wanted to make sure that the demand was real, make sure our product was as on point as it can be and build a strong foundation and essentially earn our spot in the market. It's pretty hard to launch a brand out of the gates with all those ducks in a row. You know, it takes a little time and we, you know, we pitched our investors on this method and, you know, they agreed and they backed us, which was awesome. So, you know, we focused pretty heavily on really engaging with our consumers on social media spending lots of time on premise in bars and also offering them more than just a tequila product. We build a brand. So something people can feel a part of share on social media and also wear our merchandise. So 
you know, the response so far has been amazing. And, you know, we really love the fun loving kind of tequila community that we've built. I mean, I love that strategy of focusing on social media and driving customers to specific bars. Yeah. So Southern California, and New York are uh, really dominant markets in this industry. So, you know, we're lucky enough to be based in Southern California so we could work here. And like I said, we really look to partner with, you know, some of the most aspirational bars and restaurants and accounts that we could in the early days. So like I said, we could learn the consumer, learn the bars and learn our business. We wanted to make sure that we got it right before we tried to really scale across the country because, you know, it's, you know, we're in it for the long term and we're here to be successful. So we just wanted to make sure we we did it right. And it takes a little time. So you can't, you know, un pretty sure there's not that many brands that have just launched straight out of the gates and just had it just buttoned up and nailed it and it was right you have to evolve and you have to spend a little bit of time doing that so so that's what we did was it tough to get in the early days to get actually into these uh into the bars in new york and la yeah definitely it's hard there's there's a lot of new brands coming out all the time so it's it's not as easy as just walking up and go hey we got a new brand you want to try it they're like it takes some effort and you really have to you know, show them a point of difference. And that's what we built Lost Sundays to be. And that was our point of difference. It's like, hey, we we live and activate within the same target consumer that you're targeting that you want in your bar. So, you know, they're wearing our t-shirts, we're growing together on social media, you know, so we're going to come here and help activate and and they're essentially, you know, we're going to help bring along the crowd. So that's kind of how we pitched it. And it, you know, it really worked. We, our first summer, we, we did some great activations with, with some bars in, um, in LA and, and Southern California and and that kind of really started to put us put us on the map and generate a lot of social traffic and and people really notice who we are. Now, when when it comes to bars, I'll be honest, like when I when I used to go to bars, I didn't really know much about when it came to brands or or anything like that, especially in I I knew like beers wise what I, you know, what I enjoyed and what I didn't or what was uh, the type that I was willing to try, but when it came to like hard alcohol, I did it. Is there pay to play? Like, cause it's obviously bartenders, they really are like your reference. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and that's also like one of the reasons why we named our brand Lost Sundays, because what, what you just said is, is probably the majority of consumers. You, you're at a bar, you kind of know your beers and things like that. But if you walk up to the bar and you ask like, Hey, can I grab a margarita or can I grab a tequila soda? Or even if it's whiskey or gin or something. And they're like, yeah, sure. What do you, what tequila do you want? You know, then people are like, oh, they don't really know off the top of their head. And then the bartender might rattle off a couple and they're either going to say the first thing that they know that they somewhat recognize, which is going to be Patron or Casamigos, or they're just going to recommend something. And that is where a lot of brands and places got success was from that bartender just recommending things. So there's definitely, and you know, and you know, essentially they were getting kickbacks or deals or something like that to recommend a certain product. But the industry is evolving and it's definitely getting more regulated to prevent this and give other startups and, and things like that a fairer chance. But, you know, as I said before, this, we never had the funds to go that route anyway. Our plan was to communicate and win over our customers like digitally and online even before they enter a bar. So hopefully that once they do enter, they will ask for it. And then the bars will have to pour it and even better, they'll want to pour it. No, that makes sense. And of course, then they keep coming back for more and then uh, they have to, and then of course, restock with more Sundays. Exactly. Make Just make it easy. Just make it, can I get a Sunday's margarita or can I get a Sunday's and soda? You know, just make that the the call. Like it's it's an easy drink call. Yeah, exactly. More like uh, a pull marketing instead of using like push marketing um, tactics. That's awesome. Talk to me a little bit how you approach supply chain at the very, very beginning. 
distribution. We we got our licenses to import warehouse and distribute it ourselves just because you know we we wanted it that way. We wanted to have full control over our brand, how it was presented, how it was sold, how it was communicated, you know, make sure that we can control our message and our brand position. And once we felt like we'd established that and build our foundation a little bit more, we moved into working with one of the big distributors. And this gives us access to a lot more resources, a lot more feed on the streets and more accounts. But you know, so, and I feel like that was, that was a good strategy. It's like, you definitely are not going to get the, um, the reach to accounts when you do the self-distribution. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we wanted to learn a little bit more about our product and the market and our consumers before we really pushed too much of our product out there. And once we, we got it into a good spot, then we moved in into the you know with the big distribution company i wanted to talk about i know we, we also spoke about growth and how you and how you thought about it with the online channels and offline channels how are you thinking right now in terms of growth um and what are some of the other things that you've been doing offline we wanted to stay true to to our target can, consumer and and work with bars that you know that speak to the same consumer you know that being the kind of 21 to 35 year old modern millennial and you know, probably skewed a little bit towards the female consumer. So finding like-minded places to work with like that is is really a beneficial relationship for both parties. So, you know, it's it's both trying to get the same consumer, make them have a good time, make them enjoy the location, enjoy the product, and it's a win-win for, for both brands. So we we were doing a program called La Sunday Sundays at the Bungalow <laughs> every, every Sunday for... Oh, it would have been like six to nine months a year. And it was, you know, it was a lot of hard work. Every Sunday morning, I'd wake up with anxiety of like, oh my God, I have to get a crowd together. I have to make sure it's fun. I have to make sure there's cute girls there. But it really, it really worked for us. We we developed a great relationship with the bungalows. Um, it became a thing every Sunday. Everyone would turn up. We'd you know, everyone was drinking tequila, our friends were DJing and there was everyone's posting on social media and it was great for the bungalow, it was great for us and it and it really got the attention of the industry and, you know, that that essentially enabled us to to get our distribution deal with Southern was, you know, we were eating away at the Casamigos business a lot in a lot of places that um that the distribution company for them actually, you know, finally reached out to us and were like, all right, let's let's not fight let's let's get on the on the same thing we're like all right let's do it <laughs> that's awesome so in terms of the southern distribution is that getting you distribution in more bars and as well in like liquor stores and and i mean in california grocery stores at least yeah it, it just gives you access to a lot more accounts so because they have you know their delivery service and they have so many reps and so many people that can service accounts that once you've built some demand for your brand that you're able to you know you can't take on say bevmo and there's a hundred and something bevmo stores when you have self-distribution because you literally have to go and deliver to every single one of them but then when you're with a big distributor they can service these huge accounts and then then there's also um, like groups that own multiple bars and restaurants and they like to do their ordering with just a couple of suppliers. So they get all their whiskeys, all their vodkas, all their tequilas from, you know, these couple of big suppliers. And if you're independently distributed, they don't want to fill out another credit app and have to do a separate order and bring you in. So once you move into that portfolio and you're sitting next to Jameson and you you know, you're sitting next to Sky Vodka or Smirnoff or whatever they're ordering, it's easy for them to add a case of Sundays to their order as well because you're, you're already in that portfolio. So it does really help. 
But also if you jump in there too early and you don't have the demand and you don't sell, then that's not going to be good. No, that makes a lot of sense. I know we had one of your investors on the show, uh, Joe Tonis. Want to talk a little bit about fundraising and, 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 and the reason why you chose to fundraise for your business? Well, there's, there's two Joes. We have weekday Joe and weekend Joe. So they're, <laughs> they're two completely different humans. But we look at fundraising as, you know, first of all, we had no choice. We had to fundraise. You know, there's, there's no celebrities or trust funds in our office. You know, my, my credit card was maxed and my bank account was overdrawn the day that we turned bossondays.com live and delivered our first case of tequila to the local bar. So, you know, it was something that we had to do for this business, but it doesn't mean that's a bad thing. We looked at fundraising as, you know, the right investors are value adds and that's how we approached it. So none of our investors are really just a check. They're all a value add in terms of a skill set, a network or knowledge that helps our brand. And, and this is our strategy. You know, our company's full name is Lost Sunday's Familiar. And that's how we approach investors. It's joining our familiar and making it stronger. So, you know, we've got a variety of, of angel investors um, and right through to people like Joe and that work in the VC world. So, and, and they're all great. What were some of the biggest hurdles when it came to fundraising? biggest hurdles would be sales i think i think a lot of investors want to see your sales trajectory and where you're selling but i think where there's a little bit of a turn in business right now where some people get and even some of the big guys get it like i've had discussions with panora card and and companies at that level that get this now it's like it's not just about sales it's about your product and your demand because and, you know, I've been really lucky. And this is what we'd have to pitch and describe to our investors with Lost Sundays. And, and our method was like, it's going to be demand before supply because it's very easy if you have a lot of money and you have a big network to get a product and get a liquid and go with a big distributor straight off the bat, pump a bunch of money into it and get it put on shelves everywhere. You know, that can be done with money and network. The problem happens two to three years down the track when they realize that the consumer actually didn't want it, didn't really know about it, and it doesn't get uh, resale. It's not being rebought. It's not getting sell through. And, you know, it was really refreshing to hear the likes of Pinot Ricard acknowledge that and go, we don't really want to bring brands to market anymore because our network is too big and our, and our you know, we got such deep pockets that, we lose whether that brand's really authentic and it's really, you know, organically being wanted by the consumer and has a spot in the market. So that's how we pitched it. And some people get it, some people don't. So that, that was our biggest hurdle was just showing people like, Hey, there's, you're not going to see like 10,000 cases in the first six months. We're going to be really diligent. We're going to play chess, not checkers. And we're going to build a brand with a really strong foundation and demand first. And then we're going to partner up with the big suppliers and then and and put the supply out there well you can scale quickly in liquor as well especially when you partner up with one of the big guys like their network and their ability points of distribution and to put you out there it can happen very very quickly so i feel like you know you you definitely need to build if you build that demand first and you start to get a really really strong following behind your company and your product's good you got a great relationship with your distillery and you know you can scale and then one of these big distributors or, you know, the big guys like Diageo or Pernod or Bacardi look at you, they know that they can take the demand that you've built and put it into their network and it 
can be everywhere very, very quickly. Let's talk about, which I know is a lot of time, uh, uh, on a lot of people's minds, COVID. What, what have been some of the effects of COVID on your business? We definitely got sucker punched this year by COVID. We, uh, as we said, our strategy was on-premise first um, with demand. And obviously that was the most affected accounts was on-premise with everything being shut down. And then yeah, crazy amount of restrictions now, even, you know, being here in California, you know, it, it started to reopen with very strict restrictions then to be shut down again. So, you know, we were, our plan for this half of 2020 was to move into more off-premise anyway. So we're still focusing on that now and, and getting to those points. But yeah, having a brand where the majority of your business was bars and restaurants and on-premise was, was definitely took a hit for us once everything got shut down and then even to the fact that you know we're in all BevMo's in California and Total Wine and more but then they were shut down also because they don't serve food you can only you know buy online but you know what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger and and we're still here and we will be and and we've learned a lot from it um so yeah we're we're just looking now at ways to you know, be more effective in e-commerce and direct-to-consumer and then move into more of the off-premise uh, locations and grocery locations as well where, you know, everyone is kind of shopping right now. And we want to support, our, you know, those buyers as well because they're hurting, you know, everyone is hurting. So it's not like we're just, you know, oh, we have to go to, to grocery chain retail now and just forget about them. You know, we've done our best to work with these bars that are offering, you know, they're doing some really cool like curbside cocktails and cocktails to go programs. So, you know, we've got a bunch of stickers and stick it up some really cool takeaway cups with like tequila, happy water for fun people and all these little things that we can help support those bars that are still open um, with those cocktails to go by making them more fun, giving that a reason that the consumer, when they buy it, they want to like, Oh, that's cool. And they take a photo, they post it on their social, they tag us, they tag the bar it helps promote the awareness that these bars are still open and trying their best to, you know, to survive through this. It's really tough times for bars. Absolutely. Yeah. What's one book that has inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? It's a little cliche, but personally, The Alchemist. I just think it's such a good book that gets the point across that you really have to endure some unfortunate things sometimes to achieve your end goal. You know, there's a lot of things that don't make sense at the time, but hopefully one day it will make sense and you realize you really needed that in the path to being successful or just to be grateful and appreciate your success once you got to that point. So I think that book definitely makes you a little, little wiser and more grateful for what you have. And, and if you're struggling with some things, you, you realize that maybe it's for a reason. And then professionally, there's a book called Damn Good Advice for People with Talent by George Lewis. And the guy is just a genius. He's a marketing genius. And, and that's one of my biggest inspirations with that book and everything I do with design and marketing. It's literally like each page is just one point, one campaign, one thing he's done for a business or a company. And, and that's what great marketing is. It's getting your point across as simply as possible and he's the master of it it's it's an amazing book anyone that's in a marketing design that hasn't read it i i strongly recommend it awesome soak to add both these to the uh reading list what's one piece of advice for founders that are planning on starting a food and bev type business i think the biggest thing with uh with starting our own business is to have your why like your reason why why is there an opportunity for your business why is it relevant 
why will consumers want it and really be honest with yourself on those answers. Um, and once you have that, I think that's a great, great place for you to start. And then also just be prepared that it, it's, it's a roller coaster. There's highs and lows every month. So you've got to work hard, be resourceful. And most of all, don't quit. Don't quit. You know, once you're committed, um, just don't quit. Sometimes I'll be working and, and we're doing things and it can feel like you're really making no progress for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden, these few things fall into place that you're working on and then you just jump light years ahead in your business and you're steamrolling again and you're just like, all right, I'm so glad I didn't quit. I'm so glad I didn't get frustrated. So yeah, know, know exactly why you're starting your business and then uh, be resourceful. That's a great piece of advice. Know your why. Well, Mitch, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on and for the chat. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And there you have it. It was really fun having Mitch on the show. Feel free to follow Los Sundays on Instagram at Los underscore Sundays. If you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at Consumer VC. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.